Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So uh, I've been, I was out this, this last weekend. I was gone, and if you were gone, you didn't even know that I was away. That's okay. Um, but uh, I was out the last two weeks uh, just taking some time, some personal time, trying to relax and rest. And uh, it's a routine that I've gotten into the last few years. And last week, we started a new series called Things Jesus Never Said. And our team did a wonderful job, um, both in Indiana and Blairsville. They did a fantastic job, and I'm so grateful for the team we have. Um, and they started this series really well. And so if you missed Five for Five last weekend, I would encourage you uh, to go back and watch it or listen to it and get caught up. But our team did really great. And I'm proud of them. And they kind of set the tone for what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. And really what we're doing is we're trying to debunk some lies that we believe that, that sound like truth. Like um, God will give you, never give you more than you can handle. Or when God closes a door, he opens a window. Or there, there's these cliches that we throw around in church that may or may not be true and we've adopted them. And there are things like that in our world that, that we need to address, that we need to confront. And so that's what we're doing during this series. And today, I have the privilege of talking to you about one of the biggest lies in our world that we say that people will talk about all the time, but it is just false. And there is something that Jesus never said, and that is live your truth. Live your truth. It sounds like it makes a lot of sense. It sounds reasonable. It sounds rational. Uh, I mean, this idea goes back thousands of years, but it was popularized by uh, a playwright that you probably heard of named William Shakespeare. He wrote a, a play called Hamlet in Act 1, Scene 3 of Hamlet. There is a, a character named Polonius who is sending his son off to university, and he gives him this speech as we do when we send our kids to college. Here's the things you need to remember, right? Here's what you do and don't do. And in this speech, there are a number of, uh, of quotable lines that you may have heard. Some of those lines are things like, give every man thy ear, but few thy voice. Maybe you've heard that. Or maybe you've heard, neither, be a, uh, neither a borrower nor a lender be. Both of those were from Polonius's speech to his son. But the most famous line, and the line that, he caps off his speech with is this. He says, this above all to thine own self be true and it must follow as the night and the day thou canst not then be false to any man. So what he's saying is true. He says, to thine own self be true. Be authentic, be real. And when you are authentic and real, you don't have to remember who you have to be. You're not playing a part in someone else's story. You you're gonna live a life of truth whenever you are true to yourself. And there is, there is a kernel of truth in this, but we need to, we need to look at it correctly. When, when I am who I authentically am in Christ, then I live a life of truth. But absent of Christ, I'm just living my life. And what's happened is we've taken this kind of mantra, this idea to live your truth, and we've taken it to extremes. See, uh, your truth, your truth, I'm only gonna say that in quotes this time. I'm not gonna keep saying your truth. Your truth is rooted in personal experience rather than an understanding of what is an objective reality. 
So what we see so many times in our world is people saying, well, I know that's fine for you, that's your truth, but this is my truth. And this is, this is the deal. There can't be two truths. There is a truth. But what we've done is we've started filtering, um, no, we started elevating our feelings, and Pastor Kendall talked about that last weekend. We've elevated our feelings to the place that if I have a feeling about something or I hold an opinion about something, I believe it is truth and it is my truth. And you can't argue with my truth. So where did this idea of my truth, your truth, where did this originate? This is nefarious, this is evil. Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) Oprah is the first person to kind of popularize this idea of living your truth. You've gotta live your truth. And I'm joking when I say this to some degree, but I'm also not, because it's amazing the power this woman has had in our culture. Uh, Over the years, she has um, influenced and shaped people's thinking. She has promoted things and promoted people into realms of success that they would have never had otherwise. There was a, a New York Times article in 2011 written by Mark Oppenheimer, and he said this, in her earnest spiritual seeking, Mrs. Ms. Winfrey gave platforms to some rather questionable types. And then he goes on to talk about some of the people she platformed. It said um, there were self-help authors. Uh, there was a self-help, self-help author who once said, that the, the Holocaust victims may have been paying for sins from a previous life. She hosted um, medical intuitives who claimed that emotional distress is, is what causes cancer. She, she helped launch the person who wrote the, the book, The Secret, and recorded the DVDs, the creator of this, um, who teaches that, that if you just think about wealth, then you will become rich. She invited a psychic medium to help uh, mourners in her audience, people who had lost someone they love, talk to their dead relatives. And and this is the thing that's so sad about this. And she, at least at one point, claimed to be Christian. And she definitely claims to be spiritual and religious. But in her religious exuberance, this is what it says in the article, Uh, In her religious exuberance, Ms. Winfrey gave people some badly broken tools. Ms. Winfrey nodded along to the psychics and healers and intuitives. She rarely asked tough questions. And because she believed, millions of others did too. And what she's doing is promoting your truth. Any pathway will work. It's okay. You just live your best life. It's gonna be all right. And there's a problem here because this has seeped into our culture. This idea has seeped into churches. And now we have problems. They're big problems and we don't understand. I talk to people all the time who look at the political divide in our world. Um, The political divide seems to be greater than it ever has been in our history. And one of the reasons I think it seems to be so great is because there seems to be no objective truth at all because either side of the political divide has their truth. And if you really do have truth, then you will die on the hill for that. And so there is no more good faith conversations about give and take, and well, I believe this, and we believe this, and well, who's right and who's wrong? Let's find a middle ground. There are no conversations like that anymore. Why? Because we all have truth on our side. So where did this start? 
we're not gonna get into all the weeds on this today, but let me share a couple of, there are a couple of great influences in the, the, the way we think about truth today. Um, the first is a, a philosophical state. It's a philosophical kind of idea called postmodernism. And we've talked about postmodernism a little in the past. Uh, but postmodernism is a philosophy characterized by the elevation of self. So it elevates the individual person, me, above others. Um, it, it emphasizes factual relativism, moral relativism, pluralism, and subjectivism. So let me help you with this. Um, factual relativism means that there is no objective fact, that, well, that might be your side, but that's not, truth is malleable at best. Moral relativism, there is no moral absolute. There is no moral right or wrong necessarily. Pluralism, pluralism uh, is an idea that, that we've dealt with as long as man has been around. Um, what we see in the, the Romans that Paul cautioned them about was that uh, they served multiple gods. So the Roman culture had many gods. They were polytheistic instead of monotheistic. So they had many gods um, and they were pluralistic in that. And, and the idea of pluralism in our context is not that we go to different places to worship or different, you know, we're worshiping Aphrodite or we're worshiping these different gods. But the idea is that we can take many different things that seem to be at odds with each other and believe both of them. Have you ever seen something in the media or you've seen something in politics and you're like, how can they do that when they say this? Or how can they, they just did this, but now they're doing this, right? And it's because our world is largely pluralistic. We will say or believe whatever we need to say or believe at the time, even if it's in contradiction to something else we say or believe. And subjectivism, everything is subject, subjective to something else. So there is no objective anything. It is up to you. Now, this is, um, this is challenging because this has gotten into our churches. And this is one of the reasons why uh, churches are in as much trouble as they are in our world, because we have moved away from truth to a place where everything is subjective. And, and I can hold many different ideas about things, and it's no big deal. It's just how we live, because this idea, this philosophy has entered into our culture. Now, there's another philosophical idea that is... Um, really is much more damaging. And it feels like this is one that we don't deal with as much, but we really do. And it's, it's called nihilism. And nihilism, this might be a new term for you, and you can read about it later. We won't get real deep into this. But nihilism is a philosophy that rejects objective truth. Um, it rejects morality, common values, or even meaning. Now, there is an aspect of nihilism in our world. It's called existential nihilism. And it states that life has no value at all. Life has no purpose or meaning. That literally, human life is no better than plants. Human life is no better than an animal. Human life has no value. There is no meaning to our lives. We are just breathing in oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide. And that is it. That is our lives. And you, you might say, well, this sounds really extreme, and it is extreme. But, but these ideas have infiltrated our world. 
And the, the thing that's ironic about both of these philosophies to me is that when, when we say something like, there is no objective truth, <laughs> this statement is objective truth, right? And so what they're really saying is the, the only objective truth is there is no objective truth. So there is no truth except this truth, but there's no truth. Can you see how this might get confusing? There was a, a Russian author that you might be familiar with, uh, Dostoevsky, he said this, if there is no God, everything is permitted. If there is no God, if there is no objective truth, everything is permissible. If there are no rules, then we can live however we want. We can do whatever we want. Have you ever been to a little kid's soccer game? <laughs> or, or basketball, that's another one I love. Going to a little kid's basketball game, and they, they can't dribble the ball. They're just carrying the ball. They're stiff-arming people, running around. And the ref's just like, ah, you know what? They're kids. What are they supposed to do? It's not real basketball, right? Because there are no rules. And this is what's happening in our world. There is no objective truth. And as a result, people do whatever they want, think whatever they want, live however they want. And it causes chaos. It causes anarchy. Dostoevsky actually said that nihilism leads to a, a literal and spiritual hell. Not just eventually, but here on earth. He said that, that nihilism leads to things like anarchy and rage and destruction and despair and suicide, but not just suicide, homicide. And not just homicide, mass homicide or genocide. And this is a problem. And you might be thinking, Mel, this is not the world we live in. You are an alarmist. Come on now, you need to, you need to back off this. So when we think about it in the, the macro, in the big picture, you might be thinking, we're not seeing genocide in our country. No, we're not. But we are seeing the devaluation of life. Now, I wanna be real careful how I navigate some of these statements because I don't want to offend or hurt anyone. Um, the issue of abortion in our world is a hot topic. And there are people on both sides of the debate that I really do believe love Jesus with all their heart. Um, I spoke to a person just a few weeks ago, had a conversation with this person, and this person said, Mel, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I would never be for abortion in my life, but I don't think it's right for me to dictate that to somebody else. What do you think about that? And this person was not trying to argue with me. They were not trying to trick me. They were not, they just wanted to have a good faith conversation, which I loved. And I said, okay, I appreciate that. But it comes back to this idea, is, is the baby a human being? Now, most of the abortion debate in our country today, um, most of the people that have any kind of fidelity on the pro-abortion side will agree that 
the baby actually has life, that it's not just a clump of cells. That, that debate has sailed. There's too much evidence that it is actually life. So if it's actually life, um, then that life has intrinsic value. At least to me, in my opinion, what I believe the Bible has to say as well. So I asked this person, I said, let me ask you a question. If you were sitting on a park bench and you saw someone sitting across from you that you didn't know, and you saw someone else that it was clear to you that they were going to harm or possibly even murder this person, would you do something? And this person said, absolutely, I would. And I said, I'm glad to hear that, right? Because if they would have said no, I would have been like, okay, we need to talk, right? They said, yes, I would. And I said, well, okay, that's the, the view I have of my stance on abortion is that we are, there are lives that matter, that have value, that are created in the image of God. They're image bearers of God and they have value. Now, here's the thing. Um, your greatest enemy, the person you hate most in your life, the person that you wish would get hit by a bus, which we need to pray through that too, but that person is an image bearer of Christ. That person is loved deeply by God. That person has intrinsic value, even though you don't like them very much. And so I said, yes, I believe that every life has value, every life matters. And some of you might be thinking, well, of course, I agree with this woman. Some of you might be thinking, how could a person think that? And let me help you. The the reason we can pick and choose what life matters and what life doesn't is because this philosophy has gotten into our world. It's gotten into our hearts. Let me help you with this. Um, I told this person I was talking to. I said, this might sound crazy, but if we can choose to value or devalue a life based on their ability, because we had this whole conversation about, well, they they can't think or they can't speak or they can't take care of themselves. And I said, okay, if we, if that is our judgment on the value, if we can value someone's life based on their ability to take care of themselves, then what do we do about the elderly? What do we do about people who uh, are in vegetative states? They, they don't have value in that they can't contribute. They're not speaking, they're not, right? So if we can value one inside the womb and say, well, they're not valuable because all of a sudden all life is questionable. All life is up for grabs. If we subscribe to this idea that This life is meaningless, it's valueless. It's just us breathing in and out until we stop breathing in and out. I hear in this conversation about abortion a lot, the the idea of my body, my choice. And this is something else that I spoke to this person about. I said, um, we we will pick and choose where we apply this. Um, Because this person just said, I don't want the government telling me what to do with my body. And for the record, I get that. I would like the government to stay out of my business. I get that. Um, but we welcome the government into our business all the time. Let me, let me posit a question to you. If, if you needed to make some extra cash, you were short on the mortgage this month, and you said, I need to make some extra money. It's my body. It's my choice. I can do whatever I want. 
I think I will go prostitute myself out. Now, number one, it's not legal in the state of Pennsylvania, so if that thought hasn't crossed your mind, I did not plant that in your mind, first of all. Uh, the second thing is, some of you would not make as much money as I would, because this guy is looking good, right? Like, <laughs> I think the kids call it a thirst trap, right here. Um, so, <laughs> and obviously I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But here's the thing, it's my body, I can do whatever I want to with it. But the government has said, no, you can't. It's morally wrong for you to do this with your body, so you can't do that with your body. What, what, if, we wanted to, what if we wanted to make money, but we weren't willing to do that, but we were, I got, some, I got some spare parts. I got two kidneys, I only need one, right? I, I heard that half of my liver could be gone, and I, so hey, I'm good, right? No. You can't do that. Do you know why? Because the government has said it's morally wrong for you to do that. So you don't have autonomy over your body. You can't do whatever you want with your body. And those are just parts of our body. Those are not a living being. So there's problems with this idea. And part of the problem comes from this ideology that has gotten into our world. I want to be careful with this one as well. Um, part of the problem in our world is we can't we can't answer the question what a man is or what a woman is. That's problematic in our world. The, the transgender ideology is, it's not political, it's, it's almost religious in its zeal. And if, if you are here and you're struggling with your identity sexually, I want you to know there's no condemnation. There's no shame, we love you, I am for you, and I wanna walk with you. But we're believing lies that are propagated to us. Because if, if we believe, if we believe that I'm, I'm really a woman, what I'm saying is God messed up. God didn't know what he was doing when he made me. There was a flaw in the system, a glitch in the matrix, and that's how I ended up like I ended up. And this is what I know about God. God does not make mistakes. God is faithful, he is true. So if you're here and you're one of those people, you're struggling, like I said, there's no condemnation. We wanna walk with you through this. Now it's one issue when it's an adult, it's another issue when it's a child because one of our greatest responsibilities as adults is to protect children and to guard children. That's one of the reasons why um, child abuse and sexual child abuse is so abhorrent to us and it is so off-putting because it is in our nature to protect children. But yet in our country, not even in our country, in our state, um, there are places that children as young as three can begin receiving treatment for gender reassignment. It's psychological, but they're dealing with three-year-olds. And this is a problem. And some of you are like, Mel, you shouldn't be talking about this stuff. This is none of your business. But, but this is exactly why I have to talk about it. Um, here's some of the dualism in this. Um, in most states, children 
can't buy cigarettes until they're 18 years old. Um, I don't think there's any state in the United States that a child can drink or a, a person can drink before they're age 21. Uh, most states limit children getting tattoos until they turn 18. So there are limitations because what we're saying is we don't trust you. Right? Kids can't vote till they're 18. Do you know why? Because we would have uh, Kanye West as our president. <laughs> so, so I'm just saying, we don't trust them to make decisions. But yet when it comes to who they are and, and who they potentially could be for the rest of their lives, we're allowing them to make decisions where parents and leaders and authorities should be covering and protecting and guarding. So how did we get to this place? Because again, I didn't think, even when I came to Summit almost nine years ago, I was not thinking this was gonna be an issue we would be dealing with in our church or in our community, in our world, but here we are. How did we get here? Well, we got here because these influences, these cultural influences began seeping into our lives. And it's not just a big issue, it's an issue for us. See, the same dualistic thinking that leads to all kinds of things in our world that seem big is in our lives as well. This is why we can say things like, God, I trust you with my whole life, but I'm gonna choose to live however I want to with my girlfriend or boyfriend. Oh God, I believe what your word says, except this part because this is uncomfortable for me. God, I, I, I love what you have to say, except when it comes to um, going to church regularly. I don't like that part. You're like, oh man, I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church, huh? See, we talk about these issues and it's troubling. It's disconcerting. We feel anxious. We feel this tension in our hearts because we see this as a reality. And this is not just people who are watching Fox News all the time or people that are watching CNN all the time. This is the world we live in. If you are out and about, you're gonna run into people who are walking through this kind of stuff and living out this kind of stuff. And these are things we need to be equipped to understand and tackle. John chapter 14, Jesus is... Uh, finishing up his earthly ministry and he's getting ready to, to go to the cross and he's trying to prepare his disciples for, the, for, his, for his departure. And he says this to them in John chapter 14, verse one. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And this is good advice for us today. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You don't have to lay awake at night worrying about this stuff. You don't have to be anxious about what's gonna happen in our world or our culture. Do you know what's gonna happen ultimately? Jesus wins. That's what's gonna happen ultimately. What's gonna happen between now and then? This is where we need to be engaged and we don't need to worry or be concerned or be anxious. We just need to trust God. It says, trust in God and trust also in me. Verse two says this, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going away to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And he's, he's using marital language. He's talking as a, a bridegroom who would go away and prepare a house and then come back and get the bride. And they would 
spend their lives together. This is the language he's using. And he says, and you know the way to where I'm going. He says, you know the way to where I'm going. And I love Thomas. Listen to what he says. He says, no, no, we don't. We don't, we don't know the way you're going. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And I'm sure Jesus is in these moments, he's like, guys, come on, man. Jesus said this, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is what he's saying. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He, he's not saying I have the way. I know the way. He's not saying I speak truth. He's not saying I, I can show you life. He's saying I am these things. I am the source of these things. What he's saying is, I am objective truth, because he goes on to say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you know what he's saying? I am God incarnate. Jesus is objective truth. We should know this as believers, but sometimes we struggle because of the influence of culture in our world. The, the word that's used here for truth in the Greek, it's, Aletheia. And Aletheia just means what is true in any matter under consideration. It doesn't mean that it's truthy, that it's got some elements of truth. It means no matter what the context, no matter what the culture, no matter what the country, no matter what the uh, ethnicity, no matter what the home, no matter what the circumstances are, this is truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. There is no other truth but me. This is what Jesus is saying. Now we have to, we, we have to understand this is such an emphatic statement that we can't be marginal on this. We have to believe it wholeheartedly or we have to reject it wholeheartedly. We can't say Jesus was a good moral figure because Jesus made a claim that he was God. No matter how much you like me, if I told you I was God today, a lot of you would be like, this dude's nuts, right? I bet attendance would be much smaller next weekend if I made that claim. Why? Because you'd be like, this guy's, he's starting a cult. He thinks he's God. But Jesus makes this claim. So we either have to believe it and go, okay, he is God. He is objective truth. Or we need to reject it and be like, nope, this guy's crazy. There is no middle ground. And if we are to believe it, if we're to embrace it, we have to embrace it wholeheartedly. We, we can't be dualistic in our thinking and go, well, I'm gonna pick and choose. I'm gonna, I'll take this part of Jesus because I like that part. I'll, I like the salvation. I'll sign up for salvation. But I don't want this. I don't want obedience. And I don't want church attendance. I don't want right? I don't want that stuff. I don't want growth and sanctification. I just want salvation. We don't get to pick. It's all or nothing. There's a word in the Hebrew for truth. It's emet. And it means firmness, faithfulness, truth. Um, and what we see in the Hebrew alphabet is some of the letters have two forms. Uh, there's 22 letters. There's five letters that have two forms in the Hebrew alphabet. And those forms are dependent on where they fall in the sentence. Um, and it's interesting in the Hebrew, 
the, the word for God is spelled with three letters. I'm, I'm sorry, the, the word for truth is spelled with three letters. The first letter is the letter for God, number one, because he is number one, he is first. The, the, the middle letter of emet is the middle of that alphabet. So if you take the 22 letters and then add the five that have a second meaning or a second usage, then you've got 27. So the first letter is God, represents God. The middle letter, number 14, that is the middle letter of the word truth. And then the last letter of the alphabet as well. And there are some historians and scholars that feel like this was intentional so that the Hebrew people, Jewish people would understand that that truth is all or nothing. You can't take a part out of it. It is beginning to end. That truth is all encompassing. And we can't pick and choose what we want out of truth. We have to align with it wholeheartedly or we have to disregard it wholeheartedly. So how do we align our truth? How do you align your truth with the truth? I promise I'm not gonna take a long time with this. You're like, that was the introduction? Yes, it was the introduction. First thing is this, filter your life, your thoughts, words, and actions through the word of God. See, what we like to do is we like to take the parts we like and apply them to our life. But what if instead we started applying our lives to the word of God? What if we said, I'm gonna pull this part over. What if we just said, God, I'm gonna align with you. I'm gonna move into alignment with your word, with who Jesus is, because he is objective truth. So, so I'm gonna align with that. Because Jesus is the word. Same. Align or filter your life through God, the word of God. The word of God is not just the Bible. The word of God is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. So I would say align ourselves with what the word of God says, but align ourselves with who Jesus is as well. In John chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Jesus is the word. If we can align ourselves with the, the person of Jesus, we're gonna be aligned with objective truth. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. This is what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. He says, think about the right things instead of the wrong things. We think about the wrong things all the time. It's, it's easy to do, isn't it? If you just put talk radio on while you're at work all day long, that's exhausting. If, if you've got your favorite news channel on all day and you're just watching it on repeat and they're telling you all the bad news and all the stuff that's happening, you are thinking on the wrong things. And what, what Paul is telling the Philippians is, think on the things that are good, think on the things that are true. And, and too many times we think on things that are true, but we think on things that are my truth. Well, I was wronged, I was hurt. I can't believe that person did that. I can't believe that person said that. Is there any chance you were wrong? No, there's no chance I was wrong. I was living my truth. <sighs> what if? we could be humble enough to go, you know what, maybe I was wrong. I might've been stupid. I might've said something I shouldn't have said. 
Our lives would be so much better. But what do we do? We, we fix our thoughts on what is true to us instead of what is true. And let me just, I wanna speak truth and love to you as much as I can. Just because you think something, just because you have an opinion about something does not validate it as true. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean it needs to be shared on social media. I'm trying to help you, okay? Because it's birthed in you does not make it true. And we gotta be careful about what we think is true and what we believe is true. And the way we do that is by filtering our life through the word of God, by saying everything I believe and choose to believe that I say is true is gonna be filtered through the word of God first and foremost. Second thing is this, filter your life. Remember your thoughts, words, and actions, your whole life through the truth of God's character. Did you know there's some things that aren't in the Bible explicitly? I had a teenager one time when I was a youth pastor. Um, he was like, Pastor Mel, what do you think about me smoking weed? I was like, well, it's illegal. Like, yeah, but I mean, am I gonna go to hell for smoking weed? And I don't know why I had to do his voice like that. He didn't really sound like that. I guess that's just <laughs> the way I imagine all weed smokers talk. <laughs> do you got any Doritos? I was like, well, I, I don't know for sure if you will or not go to hell. I'm not sure. I don't think it's wise at the very least, but if you're asking me if it's explicitly sinful, I'm, I'm not sure. And he said, but it doesn't say it in the Bible. I'm like, that's correct. Jesus was never like, thou shall not smoke marijuana, right? It doesn't say it in scripture. So does that mean we get a pass? Well, no, it doesn't mean we get a pass. Um, what we have to do is we have to go back to the word of God and say, okay, the word of God doesn't tell me explicitly, but the word of God gives me lots of information about who God is, his character, what his heart is for us. And it's important for us to go back to the character of God. Who is God? What would he do in these kind of situations? What would he want for me in these kind of situations? And we pray about these things. And, and, if something is not explicitly spelled out in scripture, we go back to the biblical character of God. I wanna make, make sure we understand this. The biblical character of God, not the character of God you have concocted in your mind. Because we all have different views of who God is. Even people who don't, aren't very religious, they've got a view of who God is. And so what we've gotta be careful is we don't live our lives according to the God that we have fabricated in our imagination. But we go back to the, what the word of God says and say, God, is what I'm wanting to do, is the way I'm living my life in alignment with your heart and who you are and what your word says? The third thing is this, confront abuses of the truth in love. Um... I struggle sometimes with people. Oh man, I'm just, you, you guys are gonna love me after I say some of these things. I struggle sometimes with people who um, have kids and they're struggling to parent their kids, but they refuse to bring their kids to kids' church or to the youth ministry. They're like, we're doing everything we can. Like, but you're not making them come to church. Well, I don't wanna force them to go to church but you make them go to school. 
right? You make them go to the doctor whether they want to or not. So we're neglecting spiritual health. Why is that? Well, um, I just, I was forced to go to church and I don't wanna force my kids. Where's the thing? They are in a culture that is telling them all these things, live your truth, live however you want. There is no objective truth. Do whatever you feel like is right. And if, if they're not being supported with an idea that no, no, there is an objective truth, they are going to wander from the faith. Take it to the bank, it's going to happen. So we have to have our kids in church. We have to confront abuses of the truth, uh, of truth and love, even with our kids, even with our family. In John chapter one, verse 14, uh, the book of John talks about truth more than any other book of the Bible. And I love the book of John because John really does show that Jesus is the truth. In John chapter one, verse 14, in the English Standard Version, it says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. John 1, 17, just a few verses down, says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Now let me help you. There are some of you that you're so excited that I've preached in this message today. You're like, that's right, that all those commies and all those, right? And you're gonna get on social media today and you're gonna type and you're gonna type hard. Ticka, 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 because you're so excited. It's like, yes. Let me help you with something. Um, if you are someone who loves the truth, you've gotta be careful that you're not using the truth as a weapon that you're not just taking people down and you're like, see, I'm right, you're wrong. Oh, you're all going to hell. I got truth on my side. Maybe, but you don't have love on your side. And Jesus was full of, of truth and grace. Maybe all we are is we're super permissive and we're like, well, you know, I think if you're just sincere, if you just, if you just try hard enough, you, all roads lead to heaven. And this is that, uh, that dualistic idea that all roads lead to heaven that, that Oprah has pushed so hard and so prevalent in our world. Well, that's great. You got a lot of grace, but there's no truth. And the, the truth is that there are well-intentioned Muslims that are not going to heaven. There are well-intentioned um, Buddhists that aren't going to heaven. There are well-intentioned Hindus that aren't going to heaven. Let me take it a step further. There are well-intentioned Christians. They would call themselves Christians. They go to church regularly, but they don't know truth. They don't live according to truth. They're not going to heaven. Not about our intention. It's about how we live. It's about who has captured our heart and our affection. So we have to communicate this truth with a high level of grace and love. But there's no condemnation. We're sharing truth, but we're sharing it with the most love we possibly can. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus is a page turner. You guys love reading through Leviticus when you're reading through the Bible in a year. Leviticus 19, 17, it says this, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. He's saying this, um, you're not going to hate your, your, your brother, your, your neighbor. This is the same person here. You're not going to hate them. You're going to reason with them. You're going to have a conversation with them. And that's how you love them. 
So when somebody's in disagreement with you, what you do is you have a conversation. There's another translation that says rebuke, we rebuke them. So you can love your neighbor and still rebuke your neighbor. Rebuke is a strong word, but I wanna get your attention. How do we do that? We speak truth and love. We try to have good conversations with people where we don't beat people over the head. But we have to understand the stakes. The stakes are high. The stakes are high. See, this seems like a big issue for our world, and it is, but it's an even bigger issue for our heart. The word I talked to you about earlier, truth in the, the Hebrew, emet. Um, it's interesting, because if you take this word again, I'm talking about the, the, the language, if you remove the first letter of the word emet, all you're left with is met. And emet, truth, take away the first letter, which represents God. Truth without God leads to met, death. Met is the, de the word for death in the Hebrew language. And, and this is, to me, this is a microcosm of our world. We've taken God out of truth, and now we wonder why we have death all around us. We wonder why there's so much confusion and destruction and pain and heartache in our world. It's because we've removed God out of our truth. Because now we, we can have whatever truth we want. And you just be true to yourself and live your truth. And what I'm telling you today is this is a lie. It was, it's a lie perpetrated from hell to destroy your life. There is one place to find life in truth, and that's through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time and they're gonna give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. So today, I don't know how you're feeling after you heard this message. Probably a little conflicted. Some of you are probably a little frustrated. That's okay. Some of you might have some tension in your heart because you're realizing that some of this kind of ideology has gotten into your life a little bit, that, that you kind of cherry pick what you're gonna live out and how you're gonna live your life and honor God with this, but not with this. The, the reality is one of my goals was to offend everybody today. I and mean, if I did that, then I won, so. My hope was that I could, I could share some truth with you, but I could share it in love that you could hear my heart, that I'm, I'm not here to condemn anybody. But I want you to know the truth that there is life and light in Christ Jesus, that he is the one place that we can find hope. He is the one place that we can really live a life of truth. Because all other truth outside of Christ leads to death. Book of Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And this is what is so insidious about this idea is that it feels right, it seems right, it seems to make sense that I'm just gonna live my life, I'm gonna live my truth. That ultimately leads to death. I want you to choose life today. So I wanna give you that chance. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that we can know truth Lord, your word says that, that we can know the truth and the truth will set us free. So God, I pray that as we know you, 
we would set, be set free from confusion, be set free from tension and turmoil in our hearts, the, the, the pain that is birthed in our lives when we choose to believe our own truth. So God, I pray that you'd help us see the real truth today. And I pray that we'd find freedom and life and hope in that truth in you. God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you, let today be the day they surrender their lives. They recognize your goodness. They see your beauty. They surrender. So God, I choose your truth today. God, show me, show us the areas of our life that we've been rebellious, that we have lived our own ways, that we are choosing our own path that are leading to death. Show us those things. Then I pray that you give us the wisdom and the discipline to turn from those things. Lord, let your Holy Spirit empower us to walk away from a life that leads to death so that we can find life in your truth. So God, have your way with us in these next few moments. Now, nobody's looking around with your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you'd say to me today, no, I'm not really serving God, but I want to. I, I re recognize that there are some areas of my life. I've been living my own truth, that I'm not in alignment with the word of God, but I wanna be. I wanna be in alignment with who God is and what his word says. And so I, today I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray for you. And so if you'd say, Mel, include me in that prayer. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus today. Would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. Today's my day. I wanna know that life that you're talking about. Yeah, thank you on my left. Thank you. Who else? Yeah, thank you. I see you in the back. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? Book of Romans chapter 10 tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I wanna pray a prayer with all of you. Whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to pray this prayer out loud. I want you to pray it from your heart, not just repeat a mindless prayer with your mouth, but, but pray this from your soul. So everybody in the room, pray this together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From today on, I commit my life to you. I'm done living my own truth. And I wanna come into alignment with who you are and what your word says. Help me live a life that brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, whether you made a commitment or a recommitment to follow Christ today, whatever the case may be, I just wanna encourage you, please let us help you take the next step. Um, please let us help you begin this process of sanctification and discipleship. And, and the simplest thing for you to do would be to, to simply text us. Let us know by sending us a text at summitpa.com. Um, I'm sorry, at, uh, text 90, uh, no, no, let me back up. Summit PA to 94,000 and select the prompt that says salvation. Let us know about that. Um, and then we will help you take the next step. If you're here and you'd prefer, you can simply fill out the card, stop by the info center, give it to them, and uh, they're gonna help you on your journey as well. So guys, thank you for being here. Thanks for worshiping with us today. We're not quite done yet. Uh, Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us one final song. We're gonna worship during this final song. We're gonna pray during this final song. And if you have any prayer need at all, no matter what it may be, our team's gonna be available to pray with you. And uh, we would love to, to talk with you and pray with you. If you just wanna 
sit in the room and pray after we finish. Feel free to do so for a little bit if you'd like. Um, but let's just take a minute and worship God and thank him for who he is and what he's doing. So stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go. Guys, I tell you often, I hope you know it. I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you.